0: The title is, Do You Remember? Do you remember? Uh, the Lord really likes it when we remember certain things. When you read the Bible, you'll see this. When you read the Old Testament, you'll see especially that he's constantly reminding us to remember things, telling us, you know, remember when, I mean, don't you love doing that with uh, people that you care about, uh, friends, you get together, remember when, remember when we did that stupid thing, remember when we... Remember, I mean, we like to remember things. And the Lord doesn't want us to forget. He wants us to remember. And we're going through the book Exodus. We've been doing this uh, for a while now. And we're finally at the the literal Exodus. Like, Exodus means exiting Egypt. They're literally going to leave Egypt. We're going to see that today. God's going to make it happen. But he says in verse 9, he says, I don't want you to forget. So in Exodus 13, verse 9, he says, it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth because with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Now that's one place that, that the Lord said, remember. Then if I just take you for a moment to Deuteronomy, which if you have never read the Bible before or the Old Testament before, The first five books of the Bible were all written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And a lot of times, like in Deuteronomy, it's kind of a summary of what already took place. Deuteronomy is kind of like that that summary book. So in Deuteronomy 6, Moses says um, from God, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So when should you talk about them? A lot, right? (laughs) And then he says, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand. This is kind of the same verse we just read. And then this time he says, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It kind of reminds me of when we first got into this building in 2018, um, it, it looked drastically different than it looks now. Okay, anybody who's ever, and we've had lots of people come and visit that maybe came here when they were a kid in the youth group. I just had a lady come and visit. She came here when she was a youth. Um, this used to be St. Clair Shores Assembly of God. We're going all the way back to the, the late 50s and 60s. And um, so it looked different. Well, we decorated it, we painted it, we, we kind of spruced it up. And then I asked the church to bring in. Um, scripture verses on nice decorative things. So when you look on the walls, that that all came from the church. Um, We put that. And to me, it's kind of like this verse, you know, write them on the doorpost of your house and on the walls of your church. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Um, And so we have scripture everywhere. Because God wants us to remember. He's saying, I want you to remember. Now, the Israelites, um, when they were in Egypt, um, they, they heard these words, of course, then they went out, and we're going to kind of see this whole journey, which is exciting. But these passages that we see in the Old Testament, especially the first five books, they're sacred to the Jewish people today. They're sacred. Well, of course, they're sacred to us, because all scriptures God breathed. But let me just tell you how sacred it was and what happened. 800 years later, they, 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 you know, the, the, there was kind of the rise and fall, if you will, of the, the Jewish Empire, the Israelites, you know, King Solomon, King David, the rise. But then there's the fall. Babylonians came in, took over, they went into captivity. That's what you see when you read the Old Testament. And after that, they kind of came up with a little tradition. The tradition was that they would literally wear these verses on their wrist, and on their head They would literally do it. There would be a leather wristband and a little box on their head with these four passages from Scripture. Two of them are in Exodus 13, which we're going to see which we see today. One's in Deuteronomy six, which I already read to you, and another one's in Deuteronomy 11. And um, when Jesus um, is born, 500 years or so more after that Babylonian captivity, they're still doing this and they have a name for it. It's called a phylactery, the wrist thing. So, I have a picture, because I know you're, you're, you're just dying to see what this looks like. This is what it looks like. That wrist thing wrapped around his, his forearm, that's a phylactery for the wrist, and then that little box on his head, both of those things contained the, the parchment or the paper that had these verses on them, and they would use these verses, they would read these verses, so they're literally doing this. Now they call it a Teflon. Uh, I know, it sounds like Teflon, okay? It's not, it's Teflon. Um, but that's, that's what was, was happening when Jesus was, was born and was living, and, and he actually um, pointed out to the Israelites, to the Jewish people, that um, they were showing off their phylacteries. You might uh, have read this before, it's in the I call it the horse chapter of the Bible, Matthew 23. It's the woes. All the woes. Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you, Pharisees. So, in verse 5, it says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They were showy. They wanted everyone to admire what they looked like. So, Jesus wasn't condemning the phylacteries, he was condemning their pride. Look at me, I'm so pious. It's kind of like when you see some people, um, they might have like a real blingy cross around their neck these days. And, uh, you know, are, are they doing it to show off, um, you know, their, or are they doing it because it's their faith? So there, there's that, 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 you have to always look at their, um, a person needs to always look within at their, their pride. Now, just a little sidebar, I noticed something interesting. Uh, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe not. But how many of you have ever watched an NFL football game? Just a show of hands. Okay, just almost everybody, all right? Uh, and if you've ever watched an NFL football game and you, and you looked at the quarterback, which the camera is generally on the quarterback in between plays, you might notice that he looks at his wrist a lot and he listens to his helmet a lot. You ever notice that? Well, what he's doing is, is he's got this wrist thingy that's got Velcro and... It's got all the plays on it. And, and he's got a, a walkie talkie, I assume, in his helmet, and he's listening to the coach tell him what play to run. So, just a coincidence, I, I, I'm guessing here, but I feel like the NFL quarterback has got phylacteries <laughs> on his wrist and, and between his eyes. I mean, all right, that's just extra, all right? Just a little extra for you. Um, but do you think God was literally wanting his people? to do this? I mean, when you read the scripture, for example, let's just go to Proverbs. Solomon was writing to his son. Proverbs 3. Proverbs are principles for us. Not promises, they're principles. And he says in Proverbs 3.3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. He says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What's he saying there to his son? Does he want him literally to tattoo something on his neck or wear something like a Flattery around his neck and, and tattoo something right where your heart? No. He's not being literal. He's being figurative. He wants you to know it in your heart. Memorize it. That's what he's saying. He wants us to remember what he's done for him. But that's not all. It's one thing to remember what God has done for you. It's another to then tell it to your children, to others. And that's what we see in Exodus 13.8. He says... It says, you shall tell your son on that day. It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And then in verse 14, he says, when it's time for your, your, your um, son to come and ask you. And don't kids ask all kinds of questions? Yeah, why do you do that? Why, do you do, what, why are we doing this? Why? Why do I have to? My son, why do I have to go to Costco? I don't want to go to Costco with you. <laughs> He's not here, so I can say that. He, he won't. He's downstairs helping. But yeah, so uh, why? Why? Well, this is what it says. What does this mean? And the Lord said, you shall tell them. Be by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So God wants his people to remember, and he wants us to tell others, beginning with our family, which is why the title is, Do You Remember? So today I want you to remember four things, four things in your life. Just as God called the Israelites to remember four things, he's calling us, he's calling you, Christians, four things that you need to remember. And they are, remember your salvation, remember your baptism, remember your sanctification, and remember your offering. And we're going to go through those one at a time. We're going to see what the Jewish people said all together. So do you remember, is the title slide right now. Do you remember, and we'll go through those four things. But let's pray. Will you join me in prayer, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that... It challenges us to remember and to share that with others. Father, I pray that you'll use me today to honor you, honor your word, um, that, Lord, it would change our lives. Because I know how much it's changed me. Thank you, Father, that we may be more holy like you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we begin with remember your salvation. And if you, remember, if you were here last week, it was God's Passover plan. The whole Passover and how it tied into Jesus and you recall that the Israelites had to sacrifice a lamb before, that, um, before God came in and, and did what he did. So they, they had to sacrifice a lamb, and that lamb was unblemished and unbroken and a member of the flock. If you missed last week, go, go to our YouTube channel, go to our website and check it out. It was a, a really amazing. If you've never seen the connection between the Passover lamb, which you see here, and what Jesus did and how many ways he fulfilled the Passover lamb, it's just fantastic. But they took the hyssop branch, they painted the lamb's blood on the, on the lintel and then the doorposts. And the night that, on that night, God took the life of every firstborn man and beast, except for the households of the people who had the blood painted on their doorposts. So basically all the Egyptians who didn't believe in God, who worshipped other false gods. And he passed over the homes of the Israelites. He saved their firstborns. In essence, he redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, and uh, the account of the literal Exodus. So he redeems them, and then it was a quick getaway. All right, so we're going to check that out in Exodus 12. If you need a Bible, there's a blue Bible in a chair in front of you somewhere. There's some in the back. They're free. They're there for you. Um, We have someone that generously donates those, and we want to put a Bible in everyone's hands. Matter of fact, we had a request for one. Recently, uh, from someone in Colorado, so we shipped that off to Colorado, and um, we just want to see the word of God get into everybody's house. Um, and so, here we are in verse 33, Exodus 12, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out, because honestly, they thought, man, if, if the firstborn in our, in our family just died, they thought more was coming, right, more was coming. So, we're, they said, we shall all be dead, like, get out of here. So the Israelites took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. Folks, the, the bread was still in the bowl, and then they just wrapped it up, and then they were going. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. They they were supposed to ask the Egyptians for all their valuables, their silver and their gold and their clothing. And the Lord had given people favor in sight of the Egyptians. They're like, take it. Just go. We don't want to die. And they plundered the Egyptians. And I kind of like this part because um, they took their bread dough and then they took the Egyptians' dough. So I really feel like the day after Passover should be called Double Dough Day. Shouldn't it? I mean, that's a mouthful, I know, but it's Double Dough Day. Come on. I don't know why the Lord doesn't. Well, he does have something that happens after the Passover. It's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. So... um, for us, it's double-toe day, all right? <laughs> oh, we'll remember that. Verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed then from uh, Ramses to Sukkoth, about 6, 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. So let's just say the average family in Israel, in Israel or uh, not Israel, but in, uh, in Egypt here was uh, four. Let's say you had, you know, one... Um, uh, Two, you know, two adults, two parents, and two kids. So, how many people are leaving Egypt? About two and a half million. That's how big the nation of Israel became. So, two and a half million people are leaving. And it also says in verse 38, it wasn't just the Israelites. It says there was a mixed multitude that went up out of Egypt, and they had a bunch of livestock and flocks and herds. The mixed multitude were, um, or was, uh, Egyptians that that intermarried with the Israelites. I mean, that's going to happen, and it did happen. And uh, interestingly, as we uh, look later on, we'll see that those mixed families, the, the Egyptians, they kind of become the chief complainers when they're in the desert. Because you know they only get manna bread that comes from heaven, and um, the, the complaint is, is, we remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt that didn't cost us anything, and cucumbers, and melons, and leeks, and onions, and garlic, and we're sick of this manna bread, Wow, wah, wow. You know, they're complaining, right? Um, but God will deal with the complainers. Keep that in mind. <laughs> so God tells the Israelites, remember this day of salvation, the Passover meal, the Jewish people still remember it today, they have the cedar meal, and they remember when they are freed from slavery. As Christians, we are called to remember our freedom from slavery, of sin, our slavery to sin. Do you remember your salvation? Do you share it with others? We call it a testimony. When we share our testimony, it's the day we became a Christian. Um, We have other testimonies, I think, but we kind of remember or think of when someone says, Share your testimony, the person immediately goes to, Oh, that's when I became a Christian. Well, do you remember that? Do you remember your salvation? Do you you share that with other people? Do you have an elevator um, pitch version of it? Like a 60 second version of it? Uh, Because I know some of us have 60 minute versions of it. We won't mention any names, but you know. (laughs) I remember when God opened my eyes and he changed my heart. I was in my 20s. I was seeking purpose in life. Every goal, I'm a goal-orientated guy, every goal I accomplished didn't, didn't give me that, that completeness that I thought it would. So I get to the end of my goals, and I, and I start feeling like, man, I don't have a purpose in life. So I started going to my mom's church. Um, I didn't know any other churches to go to, so I just started going to her church. And At that church, God introduced me to a man who uh, became my mentor, and he began to answer my questions, and he began to encourage me, as I was pursuing um, God. And uh, we were on a work trip together, uh, out of state, and at that trip, on that weekend, the Holy Spirit completely overwhelmed me. And I knew for the very first time, God loved me, and he had a plan for my life. And it was an amazing time. It was was unbelievable. I've never cried so many tears of joy. Because I finally felt complete. I finally had a purpose in my life. And I remember that day, it's a special day for me. But I think more than that more, more than that specific day in my life, I remember more how free I am from being a slave to sin and how much guilt and shame you have when you live in sin. And so I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am free. Now, do I still sin? I know, I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to, right? But I do. I'm a person. Okay, I still make mistakes, but I'm forgivable every time I confess to God my sins. He is faithful and just, and he forgives us. And I love the freedom, so I remember my salvation, I remember my freedom that I have because of the Holy Spirit, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You sang about that. That's my wife's one of my wife's favorite songs. When you sing that nice and loud, you really make her, you show her your love. You want to know how I love my wife? Sing that song loud next time we do it. Um, But I want to encourage you, remember your salvation, share it with others, that's the first thing. The second thing is to remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Now, the Israelites didn't have baptism in the Old Testament, they had something that was similar, they called it circumcision. Circumcision was traced back to Abraham, their father. Abraham um, was uh, given a promise from God, and the obedience was to circumcise the males. And the promise was three things. We cover this. This is actually how we kicked off the book of Exodus. I kind of went back into Genesis to kind of set it all up. But God promised three things to the Israelites. He said, I'll make you into a great nation, which he did. Two and a half million people just left Egypt. Right? He said, I'm going to give you a great land, which is where they're going, called Canaan. And he says, I will pour out on you great blessings. And he has promised to give them financial blessings. Um, blessings, he's promised to give them to keep, I mean, just so many blessings in the Old Testament. Now, the Israelites knew, though, that these promises were only going to happen if they did what they were supposed to do, be circumcised. Now, I wonder, do you think that that promise is for you today? Because I taught on this a couple weeks ago about God's promises in which ones we can claim and which ones we can't claim. And my question is, will you get God's blessings because you get circumcised? And I just realized that that question is really for the men. So, man. (laughs) No. The answer is no. Not even if you're Jewish. When you read the New Testament, you realize that the Jewish Christians were not required to be circumcised. This was a conditional promise in the Old Covenant for the Israelites. We're in the New Covenant age. God has promised for Christians today Something better. It's a spiritual blessing. He says in Ephesians, he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all we ask or imagine according to that power that's at work within us. What's the power? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has given us power. It's a greater blessing. So why does God want them to do circumcision? Why was it so important in the Old Testament for them to be circumcised? The answer is, it was a physical act that pointed to a spiritual reality. A physical thing they did, but it always pointed to a spiritual reality. In the book of Romans, Paul explains all this beautifully, which is why we're going through the book of Romans on Wednesday nights. If you want to dive deeper and you actually want to share a little bit, you come on Wednesday nights at 7. I don't do all the talking. Um, We all share and and we learn. So Romans uh, 6, well actually a while back in Romans 2, we saw this. No one is a Jew who is mere uh, one outwardly. Physically. Circumcision is not outward or physical. He says a Jew is one inwardly because circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Holy Spirit. So it always was a physical act pointing to a spiritual reality. Now, doesn't that sound familiar, Christians who have been baptized? Yeah. Circumcision in the Old Testament's like baptism in the New Testament. We are baptized as a physical act pointing to a spiritual reality. An outward declaration of an inward reality. Something has gone on in your life. So Christians should be baptized today when they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. When they can share their salvation experience. When they know they are saved by grace alone through faith. As Christians, we're called to remember that. Do you remember your baptism? Do you share that with others? I remember my baptism like it was yesterday. Jamie and I were baptized together on July 19th, 2000. So it's almost been 23 years. We had friends and family there to celebrate with us. And I distinctly remember there was a young man in the church. He had been coming for a little while, and he was on fire for the Lord. And he came right up to me afterwards, and he says, you know, uh, his name was Ryan. He says, I've I, I got to share this verse with you, First Peter. He says, You know, we can't see Jesus, I read the verse he shared with me, basically sum it up, it says, we really can't see Jesus face to face, but we have an inexpressible joy, and that's how I felt that day, an inexpressible joy. I couldn't put it into words, but I was so joyful that we were new creations in Christ. We did something as a physical act, but it pointed to what was going on inside of us, inexpressible joy, one of the best days of my life, the day I was baptized, and I remember that. Do you remember yours? If you haven't been baptized and you're a believer, why not? Why haven't you been baptized yet if you're a believer? And if you've been baptized as a baby or as a child before, you know, your parents did it for you or kind of pressured you into it before you ever understood salvation by grace alone, then I tell you, you should sign up to be baptized. There's a connection card and a chair in front of you. Put that down there. I want to dunk you. I mean, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, just like our sign says back here. Um, but I want you to have something special to remember. When we have a baptism, we say invite your friends and your family. So it's a, it's a party, right? It's a Christian party celebrating it. It's a big deal. You want to remember that. You want to tell others about it. Amen? Yeah. Next, remember your sanctification. Now, the, the not the double dough day, but The the next day, and then actually seven days after the Passover, they had a special feast. Exodus 13, verse 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread, yeast, that's yeast, by the way, shall be seen with you. No leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. So they cleared the house of all the leaven, the yeast, and for seven days, they had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They still have it today. It immediately follows the Passover meal. It's a reminder to them that they couldn't even wait for the dough to rise before they had to get out of Egypt. It's also a reminder that we are to be sanctified. We are to be holy as God is holy. Because in the New Testament, we see leaven is also often associated with Sin. Or false teachings. A little bit of false teaching can ruin a church. And that's what basically, um, a little bit of sin can affect your whole life. So the Israelites were called to be holy as God is holy. Christians were called to be holy as God is holy. Sanctified, set apart for his purposes. Do you remember your sanctification? And what I mean by that is, can you look back a year ago, maybe even six months ago, Maybe just a couple months ago. You look back five years ago, ten years ago, and look back at that person that you were and realize, wow, look how different I am. Look how much I've changed. Look how much God has changed me. See, that's a mark of holiness. And that, to me, is what we should be doing. We should be looking back. Because there's going to be times in the present where we feel like, man, we're falling short, we're messing up, we're not, we're not back, you know, we haven't been to church in a while, we haven't been reading our Bible, we've been praying a lot, and we can beat ourselves up all day, and the devil's going to help you with that too, by the way. He's going to hand you the weapons. Don't, don't, don't beat yourself up. Look back, just look back, remember. Remember your sanctification. Remember where you were and where you are now, and what God's doing in your life. I had the great privilege, I, I got the chance to speak to 7th through 12th graders this week, at Faith Christian School. And uh, what, a, what a joy it was to go there. Uh, we have some families here that send their, their children to that school, and I got to see them in the hallway, and they were shocked. They're like, what's he doing here? You know, looking up at me. Uh, say, I'm, I'm just here to, to share uh, in chapel. So I got a chance to, to share a, a, and do a little talk, and um, I prayed about what I felt like those teenagers needed to hear, and the Lord put on my heart to talk to them about building their self-worth. So I'm talking about building their self-worth and the verse that I, that I hung on and I stuck to was Romans 12, 2, which is a verse that has changed my life. See, the beginning of that verse says, don't try to fit into the world. Don't try to fit into the world. And for me, um, I shared with them that uh, before I was a Christian, that's all I did. Uh, we moved around a lot when I was younger and I went to a lot of different schools. In fact, I went to six different schools, three alone in fifth grade. So I was always trying to fit in. And my self-worth was based on what other people thought. The world. I was trying to fit in with the world. And uh, the next part of the verse says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To me, that's the key to holiness. You have to renew your mind with truth. Because if we hear in our head, which we do often, we play back things that some people say to us, and if we listen to that voice over and over and over and over again, it can lower your self-worth, can it? Yeah. All it takes is that one. You probably got one from middle school, from elementary school. Someone said you were fat, ugly, stupid, whatever. You hear it in your head, and that lowers your self-worth. And I told them, I said, the way that you get rid of that stinking thinking is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians is you've got to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ to the truth. you got to renew your mind with truth. When God says, or when you ask the question, which there are four questions we all ask, am I lovable? Am I capable? Am I valuable? Am I forgivable? We ask them in different ways, but we all ask those questions. When we ask them, what do we hear? Are we asking the world? Because we know what they're going to say. No. They'll change their mind. When we ask God, God says yes. Yes, 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 yes. And we replace that that lie with the truth. And that's what God has called us to do. And to me, that is sanctification. That's the process of sanctification, becoming holy, becoming more like Christ, because we let God's word change us. All scriptures God breathed useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training so that every man and woman is equipped for God's work. Do you have verses, you remember, that have changed your life? I bet you do. Do you tell others about them? Are you sharing those verses with others? That's remembering your sanctification. Fourthly, remember your offering. Verse 1, the Lord says something to Moses. Verse 2, consecrate. To me, all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then in verse 13, he says something that will probably strike you. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. If you don't redeem it, you shall break its neck. That's a little harsh. I think God's saying, look it, it's either mine or it's nobody's. That's what he's saying. You need to offer to me your first, your best. And then he says, every firstborn of man um, among your sons you shall redeem. I like to leave that verse right up there on the screen for you. If you read in Numbers, you'll see that there was specifics to this. I had to dig a little bit to find it. What was the redemption price? It turns out that the redemption price was five shekels according to the sanctuary, Um, I have no idea what that is now. I mean, it's inflation time, right? So who knows <laughs> what we're talking about, all right? But it had to happen 30 days later. That's what, this, that's what the scripture in Numbers tells us. By the way, the Jewish people still remember this. They have a ceremony for this, redeeming their son. It's called Pidyon Haben, Pidyon Haben. If a male is the firstborn, they bring that baby after one month to a rabbi. They bring five shekels of silver. And when they bring it to the rabbi, to the priest, the priest then says to the father, do you want the five shekels or do you want your son? Now, it should be a foregone conclusion, but there's always a comedian in the group, isn't there? I mean, what if Jerry Seinfeld did this? He is Jewish after all, right? I mean, what would he say? I don't know. Um, But the father will, of course, say, I want to redeem my son. So he gives the five shekels to the rabbi and he takes his son home. All of this to remember that God has redeemed the firstborn sons in Egypt. He passed over those houses and saved their lives, as well as the firstborn of their flocks. Why is God making them now bring their firstborn, their first fruits, and making it an offering to God? What is the truth that God wants everyone to know? And the answer is. Everything we have comes from him. Everything we have comes from God. When the Israelites will enter the promised land, they'll be so excited. They'll celebrate something called the Feast of the First Fruits. They will have their own piece of land for the first time. And they will grow fruits and vegetables and grains. And when it's time, they will bring the first, the very best, and offer it to the Levites, the priests, because they didn't get land. Because this is the way God set it up. That my priests will not get land, but you will bring them the offering. And they will do the same with the firstborn of their flocks. They will bring the very best to God's workers. They relied on the faithfulness and obedience of God's people. And God has called Christians to do the same today. We get to meet here. We get to do the Lord's work here in this area. Because you bring your offering. That's how important it is. We are to remember our offering. Are you giving your first, fruit, first fruits to the Lord's work? If this church is your home, if this is where God has called you to be, and, and if, you're, if it isn't, if you're a guest here, I'm not talking to you right now. But if this is your home, then you need to remember to bring your offering. You need to faithfully give cheerfully your first fruits. And you will. I believe you will. Not because I'm saying it right now, because you see this truth at work. This truth is that everything we have comes from God. Now, I don't claim promises from the Old Testament, especially this one in Malachi, but I know a lot of people do. But I want to show you how I've used this as a challenge to people when it comes to giving. Malachi 3.10 says this. God is speaking to the people of Israel. He's saying, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, you should never test God, except in this one area. He lets you test him. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, I know there are Christian churches that teach this verse and say that if you give $5, God will give you $50. If you give $100, God will give you $1,000. They equate it to a financial blessing. I don't do that because that promise was for them in the Old Testament. I think God will bless you spiritually, which is way better than, than physical anyway, if you give faithfully. Just imagine, just walk with me through this little scenario for a moment. Imagine you are a person who worships money. Like, that's your God. And I think there are a lot of people who love Jesus, go to church, pray, but they worship money. I I don't think that they're, they're mutually exclusive here. I think you can love God and love money, but one, you definitely will love more. And if you love one more, you will serve that one always. Jesus said it. You can't serve God and money. You'll serve one or the other. So just imagine for a moment you serve money. You get your paycheck, which I just did it like you look at it. You don't even do that anymore, do you? It's all deposited directly these days, right? So you've got your paycheck. You look at your bank statement, and you look at it, and you say, that's my money. Because that's what a person does when they, when they worship money. They say, that's my money. Well, if you take the challenge here and you test God and you give your tithe, you give 10%, that's just what the word tithe means, you give 10% to the Lord's work, and you do this week after week, you know, paycheck after paycheck, you're tithing faithfully, and then something amazing happens. You've been doing this for a while and you begin to see something. You don't see money as your money. You see it as coming from God. You begin to see this. It's a, it's a weird transformation that takes place, but you just, you just begin to see it. And then you begin to realize that it's not just money, it's everything you have, every material thing you have, your job, your house, your car, everything you have is coming from God. And then you get really excited about that um, because of, that, this, this mindset, this is changing, and then you begin to give above your tithe, you begin to give to a ministry that you're really passionate about, that you really are excited about. And you begin to give to that um, Ministry, not just your money, but your time. You're, like, you're, you're donating your time. You're going there because you love blessing people and showing God's love to other people. And then you realize, maybe for the first time, that uh, something is true, that it is better to give than it is to receive. And you're doing this, and then something happens at work. Your relationships begin to change, and your boss notices, and they're really impressed by how things are changing just with your relationships. And at home, your relationships are changing there as, as, as well. family. Um, situations. You're you're having breakthroughs where it was always a barrier before. And all of this happens because of what you did. You began to give faithfully because you saw it as God giving it to you. Now I ask you, is your life better than it ever was before? Have you been truly blessed now? If that's the situation that has happened in your life, and have you been blessed financially? No. You were blessed spiritually. You were blessed spiritually. You might think that I just made that story up and that story will never happen to you, but I'm telling you it happened to me and it's happened to a lot of people I know. That when you begin to see everything comes from him, then you begin to give faithfully, proportionally, cheerfully. And I'm telling you, God is calling you to remember your offering. Be a cheerful giver because God will bless a cheerful giver and it will come in ways that you never thought. Imaginable. So here's the conclusion. Do you remember your salvation? Do you remember your baptism? Do you remember your sanctification? Do you remember your offering? God wants you to remember these things. And He wants you to tell other people and He wants you to start in your own home. Can you do that, church? Yes. I pray that you.